For those of you that are new, my name is Justin Jordan. I'm the lead minister, and so glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And for those of you that are tuning in online, thank you for connecting with us. We are continuing a sermon series of Seek First. It's a three-week journey. We're just halfway through in week two about what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God. And we've been journeying through Luke chapter 12. And this has been our theme verse we've been wrestling with on verse 29. It says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your, and your Father, your Heavenly Father, knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. In today's passage, we're actually going to be dealing with this section of Scripture. We, we dealt with the earlier verses in Luke chapter 12 last week. And the question that I hope you're asking, if you're new, maybe you're like, what is this kingdom? What, what is the kingdom talking about? What's this in reference to? The kingdom of God is in reference to God's rule and reign here on earth that he established when he came and, and ushered in the kingdom through his life. And then God's spirit was poured out into his people. And so it's, it's God's act of rule and reign here on earth, and it originates in your heart. It starts in your heart. It's a decision for you to decide that I'm going to actually live under God's authority, rule and reign here on earth, and I'm going to live a life that's different. And so God, when he died on the cross for you, he just didn't save you for you to attend church each week. He actually saved you for a purpose. He actually saved you to, so that you would live in partnership with him here on earth about his rule and reign, which means that not only is God's rule and reign active today, his kingdom is active today, we can experience his kingdom, that also means that there's a kingdom that opposes God's kingdom. And that kingdom also can originate and start in our hearts as well. It's the opposite of God's agenda for the world. And we've been talking about what does it mean to seek after God's kingdom? What does it mean to pursue what he wants us to pursue? But also, what are the things that get in the way of seeking after his kingdom? We talked about hypocrisy. And Jesus said, be, be aware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And, and then he goes on to have this conversation in Luke 12 where he talks about, don't worry about them, but instead worry about God who can harm not only your, your body, but also your soul. The reality of, of like fearing God on not only your heart and your mind, everything that we do is it in relation to what God actually wants for us. He then talks about greed, about how be careful of greed. Uh, that can get in the way of us experiencing the kingdom of God. And this week we're going to talk about worry. Everybody say worry this morning. Worry. There's lots of different types of worry in life. Um, I'm, I'm guilty of worry. I think if we're honest, we're all guilty of worry. Um, and there's different types of worry. One worry that I learned about this week is mind reading. It's when we believe we know what others are thinking, even though we haven't actually asked them what they think. And so we start, well, I know what they're thinking, or I know what they're doing. And we start going in this mind reading perspective that actually leads to worry. And if you don't know what that maybe looks like, maybe you've seen this meme before in regards to worry. He's probably thinking about other girls. Why is oranges called? orange but apples are called apple instead of red <laughs> maybe we should just have a conversation about what's really going on inside of us right uh, mind reading another one that I'm guilty of is catastrophizing it's when we expect the worst possible outcomes and this is a new one for me normally I've been like a half glass full guy most of my life well this last year and a half, me and my wife have experienced something we've never experienced. We actually 
I've had really good luck with used new vehicles, and I credit that reality to my economics teacher, my senior year in high school, taught me so much. This guy was old school. Like his suit was from the 70s every single day. Suit, tie, like just came, perfect hair, was nearing retirement, but was old school. Like yelled at times when the classroom got out of, got out of hand had the ruler slapping it on the desk like that old school and people from the majority of the time just rolled their eyes at him like this guy's so old school but he had so much good wisdom and i came from a family that didn't have a lot of good financial wisdom so i was soaking it up and he literally had a step-by-step process on how to actually buy a used vehicle and I follow that thing to a T, even though the salesman at car dealerships would, would roll their eyes at me when I would test drive it once, test drive it a second time. Then the third time, like, you ready to make a deal? No, I'm gonna take it to my mechanic. Oh, I've done a, a thousand point inspection. It's good, or whatever it was. No, I'm gonna have my mechanic take a look at it. We've always had really good luck with vehicles. Well, guess what? Last year and a half, all sorts of different stuff. And it's crazy. My truck makes a weird noise. What is that? What is that? My wife's like, a rock flipped up off your tire. Like, it's fine. Are you sure? Worst case scenario, thinking about what could happen, catastrophizing. Maybe it's this. All or nothing thinking is when we interpret a situation as all good or all bad. Do you fall into that trap? I know I do. I've got a man in my life that's like, hey, I know you're thinking about option A, option B, but maybe there's a C and there's a D and there's an E as well. Is that a form of worry that you have? Overgeneralization is when we believe that having one negative experience means we will always have this same negative experience. That's not necessarily true. Negative attention is when we focus on the negative things that went wrong rather than focusing on the positive things. And have you ever thought that maybe the negative things can bring about good? And the last one, nobody ever struggles with this one, rumination. is when we think about something and distress about it over and over and over again. What is worry? Worry is all about fear of uncertainty. Worry is all about fear of uncertainty. I want you to write that down in your notes, journal, whatever you've got, write it down. Worry is all about fear of uncertainty. What does Jesus say about it? Verse 22, Jesus is continuing on the conversation from last week. Last week was the rich fool who in his own mind thought, I've got so much surplus, I should just add bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger barns thinking that he was the one that produced all the crop. And what Jesus begins to dial in when it comes to his heart is Jesus is saying, instead, you should think about not just yourself, bigger barns, but instead, be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. And so we talked about last week a little bit about this wrestling. Yes, we need to have a savings account because sometimes the truck breaks down. Yes, we need to prepare for retirement. The Bible says that those who leave an inheritance to their children's children is blessed and smart and wise. We need to do those things. But if we do those things and say, well, then I can't be generous or I can't help that person because I've got to continue to store, we're actually missing the kingdom of God. 
We're missing what it means to be Jesus' disciples. And Jesus is continuing into this conversation, verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. What strikes me about this passage in in these verses is the reality that worry has been a fundamental problem from the very beginning and is continuing on. But here's what's interesting or fascinating to me is that Jesus is saying this to a group of people that most likely only had what they owned right on their backs. If they were lucky, they had one extra garment and whatever they had in their small little home. And he's telling this to his disciples that you should not worry. Yet we have all sorts of stuff. We don't just have a house. Their houses in the first century are equal to our closets today. We don't have just one garment. We've got lots of garments and clothes. And don't get me started on the shoes, okay? (laughs) Right? And Jesus told them, don't worry. We have plenty, and we still worry. Worry is killing us. Literally, it's killing us. It shortens our lifespan. It doesn't contribute to anything positive, except for the only thing it does really increase is sadness anxiety and decreasing joy Jesus says don't worry notice that he also talks about the life for life is more than food he says that word life is the Greek word suke everybody say suke Suke. it means your soul your soul What is your soul pursuing? What is it driving towards? As we continue to kind of review a little bit, your life, your soul is more than possessions. It's more than food. It's more than clothes. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Verse 24. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. If you've got a Bible, your Bible app, will you highlight that section? They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom. They don't have a barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. 
This section of scripture is common within the rabbis of the first century. They would have lots of different ways they would teach, sometimes question and answer. But another thing they would do is they would have this argument. It's called a 40 or rye argument. What is that? It means that if this is true, how much more true or obvious is this? So for example, I might say this. The Dodgers spent $300 million this year. Of course, they're going to lose in the playoffs. The Dallas Cowboys are the favorites to win the NFC East. Of course, they're going to lose in the playoffs. Okay, those two examples are more hyperbole, but it's the same type of thing. If this is true, how much more is this true? So what is that? What Jesus is saying is this. The ravens, the flowers, the grass, they don't sow and reap. And God still takes care of them. What is sowing and reaping? It's a, it's a principle found all throughout Scripture, usually in regards to two things. Number one, your spiritual life. What you sow in your heart is what you will reap. So if you want to experience all that God has for you, you want to experience good things, you have to be willing to sow seeds that are good in your heart, in your life, to then reap the things that come from that. And if you want to go down the road of darkness and dark things, you're going to reap that. Are you tracking with me this morning? It's also true in regards to our work and our finances. If we put things first, how God wants us to put things first, we're going to reap blessings out of that. Scripture talks about that. And so Jesus is trying to make a point. Flowers, ravens, grass, they don't do. They don't have the ability to cognitively do what you do because you're a human being. You're made in God's image. You have the ability to make a choice, to choose to worship God. They don't do that, and God takes care of them. But you, you have the choice. Of course, God's going to take care of you. He cares way more about you. What does this look like? Later on in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. What does that mean? Idle? Lazy. Not working. Not being about God's agenda for the world. Contributing. Using your gifts to further his mission. Providing for your family. All those different types of things. There's a group of people that aren't doing that. So all you young men that hear from your dad, one of these days you're going to get a job. Well, there's a little bit of truth to that. A little bit of truth to that. What's he say? Does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Well, what was that teaching? Lots of different things, but Paul starts to hammer in on something. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how we ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. So Paul visits the church. He's an apostle. He's a church planner. He's an evangelist. He's a pastor. And he's going into the church, and he's actually modeling and teaching what it is he wants for the people there in the church in Thessalonica. And he goes on to say, 
We were not idle, we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we did not have the right to such help. Why? Because he's an apostle, a church planner, a pastor, a minister. If they wanted to support him, he'd be like, it's within my right to receive that. But I've chosen not to receive that. Why? To model for you what it means to have healthy relationships, healthy work, healthy, helping in regards to the community and the families to actually actually work. We could have received that help, but we didn't. We ordered, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate, for even we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not What's this saying? This is what God's saying. The birds, the ravens, all that. They don't have a choice. God still takes care of them. You have a choice. You do so and reap. Guess what? God's gonna take care of you and he cares way more about them or way more about you than them. You're like, oh, wait a second. You're way more valuable than grass, birds, Flowers, you're made in the image of God. You're a child of God. And if you're willing to trust him, he's got good things for you. You don't have to worry. God in his sovereignty, what does that mean? His authority and his control. In his authority and his control, he cares so much about you. And God wants you to work hard and then trust him with the results. Trust him. So whatever you receive, trust him. Give what is his. Live off the rest. Trust him. Oh, I, I want this and I want that. Do you have the money for that? No. Well, then, no. Trust. Trust. Trust him with whatever it is that he provides because he's got good gifts and he wants to give you the kingdom. He cares for you. He provides for you. And his kingdom is alive and at work. And you've got to decide that I'm going to say, you know what? I will trust you, Lord. I'm not going to pursue all these other things that lead to worry. N.T. Wright puts it this way. The kingdom of God at its heart is about God's sovereignty sweeping the world with love and power so that human beings each made in God's image and each one loved dearly may relax. Everybody, big deep breath. Relax. In the knowledge that God is ruling and reigning as king over his kingdom. And that whatever comes my way, whatever pain comes my way, whatever hurt comes my way, God is using it to bring about good. He's using it to bring about endurance. Therefore, count it as joy, brothers and sisters, when you face all sorts of different types of trials. God is ruling and reigning. He's going to take care of you. And he doesn't want for you to have a life that's full of worry. He wants you to live a life full of trust 
in him. And when we begin that process, not only are we set free, we actually begin to tell the world a different story about who we are and what the God, who is the God that we serve and that we love and that we worship. You have to be willing to do verse 31, to seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is inviting you to set your heart, to set your soul, your life on a trajectory of serving God and his kingdom, to trust him in all that you do. Big questions. Okay, yeah, I, I have a worry problem. I understand Jesus' kingdom. I understand I'm supposed to trust him. He's got me. What is the result? What is the fruit when I begin to live that way? Sometimes our hearts get set free and we have the ability to, to, to live differently right away. I'm gonna be honest with you. Sometimes in order to combat worry, you have to be obedient before you actually feel free. Are you with me this morning? So what are some things that he's inviting us to be obedient in even though the feelings may not be there? Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. I can make a joke about purses, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no. No, I don't want to sleep on the couch. All right. <laughs> a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't be afraid. And I just want to continue on. There's some very distinctives that Jesus keeps giving us on action points, action items, to reflect on, is that where our heart's at? And how can we align our heart more to him? I just want to go over them real quick. As we continue this conversation in Luke chapter 12, he says, be rich towards God. That's how we combat greed. Don't worry, don't be anxious, work hard unto the Lord. You can sow, and you're going to reap what you sow, but trust him, because he cares for you. And then be generous those, towards those who are actually struggling. And I believe that we as the church are actually supposed to be a people that live this out individually, but not only do we live it out individually, when we come together as Jesus' church, we can do something way more profound, way more impactful when we choose to come together as Jesus' church. Let me give you a couple examples. What we do here at Life Ministries in order to be a blessing to those that are struggling is we have a couple things that we do within our budget. Number one is 1% 1 of our giving goes directly to our benevolence fund. What is that? It's a fund for people that are within our church that are in a place where they're struggling. Power bills, maybe their rent, car payment, Every single month, there are requests that come in where we walk beside them and begin to help them. Here's the other thing. We hear stories every single week of home groups that say, you know what? We maybe need a little bit of help in the benevolence fund, but we're just gonna take care of their groceries for this month. That's the church. That's the kingdom. Where we say, you know what? We're gonna walk beside people when they're struggling. Not only that, 2% of our budget goes towards community impact. 
What are those? Those are projects where we go to areas where people are struggling financially. Our target area for our church right now in this season is downtown Meridian, specifically Meridian Elementary. Why? Because Meridian Elementary is a Title I school. What's a Title I school? Majority of the kids that attend that school live under the poverty level. And so when you get hired on as a teacher at Meridian Elementary, you're not just wearing a teacher hat like a lot of other schools. Why? Because the kids that walk into that classroom are dealing with all sorts of stuff. Many of them don't have food during the weekend. Many of them sleep on a couch, not a bed. Some families live out of a garage and the primary person has got the home. Many parents are dealing with addiction. So the teachers that get hired at Marine Elementary are fully aware of that reality, that these kids are coming into the classroom. And if you expect just to be a teacher and for them to learn right now, guess what? That's not reality for these kids. There's a whole lot of mental and emotional barriers they have to work through in order to get to a point where they can actually learn. Are you with me this morning, church? So Marine Elementary's got a special spot in our heart, which is why we went into their, their building, Joe and his team, an amazing group of volunteers that went in, and we literally made the teachers there a teaching lounge that they had never made. We remodeled a whole room. It used to be my music room growing up. Now it's a teaching lounge. Why? Because those teachers, we're going to bless them with a teaching lounge where they can sit. Because unfortunately, in our society, we're losing our best teachers. And if there's anything that our society, our community needs, is leaders. Mom and dad, leading well in the home. Teachers, leading well in the classroom. Coaches, leading well out in the sports. This is what shapes society. And we at Real Life Ministries are going to say, we're going to do something about it. We're going to be a church that lives out our faith beyond Sunday. So we're going to do that. So what would it look like for you to go, you know what? I want to engage in that. I want to engage in what the kingdom of God is up to. Not only that, we have ministry partners that we give money towards. Meridian Food Bank, over 12,000 households last year were fed through the Meridian Food Bank. So well, Meridian is growing and lots of nice homes. Hang out in downtown Meridian. We will be a blessing. And as our church continues to grow, we will find more places to be a blessing. The Boise Rescue Mission is another ministry partner. These are the places where we as a church can come together and make a huge impact. But we can also make a huge impact individually. As we get, begin to look and say, okay, God, what is it you're inviting me into in regards to the kingdom of God? What would it look like for me to quit worrying and start trusting you? What if I could just let go and allow you to rule and reign in my heart a little bit more? We're gonna watch a video of high school winter camp because God did some amazing stuff this last weekend. Now we're gonna watch this video. 
But Joe's going to share a little story about what, what God did this last weekend. Let's take a look. just looks like all fun and games up there <laughs> a lot more than that happened joe share that story about what god did yeah we uh, we had such a fun time as you could see and uh um and that wasn't nearly all of it um but what we we really do we actually spend some very intentional time with jesus uh taking next steps and uh, this year's winter camp was all about foundations and uh, we went through different uh, principles that Jesus offers us to lay a good foundation. Matthew chapter 7 stuff, build your house. Build your house on the rock. And, uh, and so what are those principles that we need to, we need to, uh, we need to apply to our life? And uh, one of those on Sunday night was trust. We've got to be people that put our trust in Jesus. And can we do that? And are we able to do that? And so uh, we do services, and these are no-joke services. Uh, there's a lot of teaching, heavy teaching, and then we spend a good 45 minutes to an hour in worship and prayer. And, uh, and it's an intense time where we lean into God, and God shows up in powerful ways. And uh, Sunday night was no different. As we started the prayer time, uh, I handed each student uh, an index card, and I wrote on top of each index card, I will trust God with dot, dot, dot. I will trust God with dot, dot, dot. And so as we started the prayer time, we were praying over the things that, that our students are experiencing, the, the struggles, the fears, the worries, the doubts, all the things that they, they battle with, which, which are a lot. And, uh, and at one point uh, during the time, I told them, take out the card I gave you. 
And I want you to go ahead and spend some time writing on that card what, what you believe you need to trust God with. And so they all began to write, and there were some worship songs playing, and, and they're writing, and I'm back in front just writing it all out, weeping as they're processing the things that they, they need to trust God with. And, uh, and so as the time went on, well, I said, hold on to that card now, and let's pray over it. And so they began to pray over these things that they wrote down, holding on to the card. And a certain point came in the prayer time where I said, all right, part of trusting God is that we have to actually let go of the thing we're holding on to. We've got to let it go. You, you can't say, I trust God and hold on to the thing that you want to trust God with. You've you got to let it go. And I said, and if you're ready to find freedom, to trust God truly with this, I want you to get up and go ahead and walk over and put it in the fire. Let it go. One by one, the students came up and just started putting their card, weeping, putting their card in the fire. I'll trust you. I'll trust you. Powerful, powerful move of God. Yeah. Here's what I want to tell you. There are people that come up to me all the time and say, hey, like, I give, but I want to give above and beyond. I want to help kids get to camp. Can I do that? Like, yeah. Half of the kids that went to this camp received some sort of scholarship in order to get to camp. Don't worry. Be rich towards God. Trust Him. And all these things will be added to you. Thank you, Joe. I think one of the ways that we get to that place is this last part. Live a content and simple life. We have to be willing to live content, simple lives. When we live a content, simple life, it's actually saying... Jesus, you're enough. I believe you're going to take care of me. I believe you're going to take care of my family. John Stott says, simplicity is the first cousin of contentment. Its motto is, we brought nothing into this world, and we can certainly carry nothing out. It recognizes that we are pilgrims. That word keeps popping up in 2024. That we're all on a journey. And it concentrates us on what we need and measures us by what we use. It rejoices in the good things of creation, but hates waste and greed and clutter. It knows how easily the seed of the word is smothered by the cares and riches of this world. It wants to be free of distractions in order to love and serve God and others. So what if this week you sat down together if you're married and you just spent time talking about your life and what's going on, the worry that you have, and that could be in all sorts of different things. It could be in your marriage. God, every time I bring this up, there's a fight. Yeah, that's part of the process sometimes. And sometimes it means us learning how to have better tools of communication 
but to keep working through the things that are in your heart, in your marriage. Maybe it's your kids you're worried about. So I'm seeing, wives, maybe you see things that us husbands don't see because sometimes we're rockheads. We don't, we're not aware of like the stuff that's going, I'm really worried about our daughter. And you talked about it and you said, what does it mean for us to orient around Jesus with everything we got to help change the trajectory of our kids' hearts. Maybe it's your time. You know what they say? You can see the priorities. Where's your calendar? Where's your budget? How are you seeking first the kingdom in those areas? Talk about the worry. Talk about the things that are happening. If you're single, who is a disciple maker in your life that you love and that you trust and that you need to hear wisdom from? Who is that? And if you're like, I don't have one, you need to get connected. You need to get connected. And maybe if you're married, you've got to invite a disciple maker in your life to help you walk through the worry in your heart. Here's what I know. Jesus is ready to enter into this place of your heart if you're willing to let him in. So you gotta be willing to make him king. You gotta let him rule. And you gotta be willing to walk through the steps he calls you to walk through. Even though there's uncertainty. He's a good king. He's a good father. As we get ready for communion, I want to invite you just to reflect on these next steps. And if you didn't receive the elements when you came in and you would like to take communion, looks like my son Noah and Jane would love to serve you the elements. Just raise your hand. We'd love to serve you a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And we want to invite you to have a conversation with Jesus. Just keep that hand raised even if you haven't received anything yet. We'll make sure we get it to you. Anybody else? Wanna wanna invite you to just start having a conversation with Jesus and talk to him about what's going on in your heart and what it is that he wants you to do in taking a next step and and realizing what it is you need as you walk with him. Spend some time with Jesus as we get ready for communion.
the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. And he raised a cup of wine and he blessed it. He said, this represents my blood which is spilled for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord,